Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and today I'm joined by a very special guest who I'll introduce in a moment. But you've heard of fan fiction, probably, maybe even heard of fan films. But today on the pod, we're going to be talking about fan edits, a phenomenon subculture that uh, you may not have been aware exists, but it certainly does. So I'm thrilled to welcome my favorite fan editor, Hal9000, to the podcast to talk fan edits with me. Oh, well, hello. That's quite an introduction. Well, I just want to say off the bat, I'm genuinely a big fan. Your prequel edits are my go-to editions of the movies to the point where, like, when I catch them playing on TNT or something, I get a little thrown off uh, when I hear a line or see a scene that's not in your <laughs> version because I'm so used to the rhythms of your cuts. Like I can, I can kind of relate to that in a way, but you know, <laughs> I, I appreciate you appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So that said, would you be able to give a definition of what constitutes a fan edit, just for anyone listening who's not aware of what that is? Yeah. Well, in, in your intro, you mentioned um, you know fan films and fan fiction, um, both of which, you know. The creator can do anything that they'd like, more or less. Um, maybe less so with the fan film, but but still, you're kind of building. From, on the one hand, you're building from the ground up, and there's total freedom. You, all you have are words to move around, or, or you know what have you. Uh, with a fan edit, you're limited to actual existing footage, um, much like a regular editor on a professional movie. You know, you have the the footage that you have, and your job is to take that and. You know, spin the best uh, quality thread that you can from the raw material. And um, fan edits and Star Wars have kind of been very closely associated, uh, you know, their whole lifespan. At least, like, I'm, well, I guess by fan edit, um, I have in mind kind of a, like a, a, a full feature length um, proper movie, you know, an edit, like, more like an alternate cut, you know, maybe like a fan cut, what maybe would have been a, a more intuitive term for it. Um, but just kind of taking something that already exists and kind of re-editing it, remixing it, uh, just recutting it. Uh, you know, you'd have director's cut of a movie or such and such cut, the, you know, uh, things like that. But um, just, it, it's a broad term all the same. You know, you can have fan edits that take something that they view as problematic and try to, you know, quote unquote, fix it in some way, or just, just remix it and do something totally different with it. Um, but, uh, just taking an existing kind of finished film and doing something else with it, I think would be enough to call something a fan edit. No, absolutely. I think you're, I think you're exactly right with that. And it's actually fascinating what some people do with i mean in this case we're talking about star wars movies they turn them into silent films or they they set them to different music there was one that you know has a version of star wars that makes it feel like a spaghetti western i guess it's really an extension i guess you would say of like remix culture almost absolutely yeah that's exactly yeah. what it is so to go back a little bit just out of curiosity what is your personal history with star wars it's obviously something that you care enough about to spend a lot of time recutting the films it's been interesting. I was about nine years old when uh, Phantom Menace came out. That was um, mm. effectively my introduction to Star Wars. I, I'd seen bits and pieces of the original movies before then, and that was kind of what prompted me at that time to kind of get get into those. And um, back in those days, you'd go to Blockbuster and, and rent them a few times before you'd you know eventually get your parents to buy buy you a copy of the 
I'll yep. move on tape. Yep. And uh, so I was aware by virtue of the shelf at Blockbuster that there was the original version of the original trilogy and the special edition version. So I had rented both. And there were, I remember even as a kid going there and being like, hmm, which one will I get this time? Um, so I think that was kind of the original idea. You couldn't help but think about, hmm, what do I like about each one? Uh, how great would it be to be able to cobble together, you know, kind of um, version that, uh, um, that just marries the best, best of both worlds there. You actually just blew my mind there for a second. We're pretty similar in an age. Like, I think I have a mm -hmm. few years on you. But for you, the special editions always existed alongside the, the quote unquote mm -hmm. originals. And especially in that that VHS, like the intro to the VHS had like a you know a little featurette about you know look how look how great this is what we're doing with ten million dollars or whatever to spruce up Star Wars and they have like a big like you know demo reel of of what's different you couldn't you know you couldn't miss it. No, that's true. So you know one of my later questions was going to be like why Star Wars like why where did this phenomenon <laughs> originate? It's kind of George Lucas who did it who planted the seed of the idea that there are multiple versions of this movie that can exist. I think you're right. It's not that I've never done any tinkering with Back to the Future, for example, but uh, Back to the Future is one of the few just real gems of, of movie history that, that was a franchise and yet never got screwed with later, never had like a fraudulent sequel decades later, at least not so far. Um, and so I would honestly say the Back to the Future films are, well, at least the original Back to the Future is probably my single favorite film ever. And um, it, it, it's, it's, for lack of a better way to put it, just been untarnished. And with Star Wars, um, yeah, like, I think you're right. There, at least for me, by the time I got into Star Wars, um, there were two versions of them to start out with. And it just kind of begs the question, hmm, what would a middle ground kind of you know custom version look like um and then when the phantom menace comes out it's it's the early days of the semi-modern internet and you have uh this mysterious you know phantom edit that had made the rounds um on vhs make it to the internet i think in what like 2001 um yeah somewhere I there remember, but, yeah. i remember finding a copy of that on limewire you know, back in the yes. day, just the file sharing yes. and just like typing in, searching for Star Wars or whatever, and hmm, Phantom Edit, whatever. Um, I would have been uh, about 12 at that time. And uh, it was just at that perfect point in history, you know, where you have the, the biggest, most anticipated movie in the world, Phantom Menace. Uh, a lot of people felt disappointed by it. You have just consumer level video editing software and uh, a means to distribute it broadly, you know, on, on the internet. And so it was, it was just a perfect recipe. And, and, you know, Mike Nichols, who produced the Phantom Edit was a professional film editor himself. And that's especially for its time. Those are, well, the Phantom Edit and then the one he did for episode two, Attack of the Phantom are both um, just incredible works of whatever they are, you know, kind of almost Remixes. feels like it predates the term fan edit, but uh, he was certainly a pioneer in that whole kind of cottage industry that's that's grown up in, you know, two decades since at this point. Um, so no, all along, you know, that that's even before, that's before I'd even seen Attack of the Clones at all. So like every, Star Wars at that point for me was, um, you know, all about those those questions and possibilities about, you know, what what can happen there. I think another key ingredient that makes Star Wars um, be probably the most fan edited 
movie series that you know that there is so far um it, it 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 kind of with all of its continuity weirdness it just seems like it invites somebody like me to uh have have fun uh, reconciling things and and um just puzzling over over that stuff you know i remember uh while back reading through the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, we had this big sprawling legendarium of all kinds of stuff. And it was, I like his approach when someone would point out uh, some, you know, an apparent contradiction. It, it's not as much fun to just say, oh, that was a contradiction. It was a mistake. I fixed the mistake. There it is. You instead find an in-universe explanation for why that could make sense. You exactly know, right. Things like That's that. That's a part of, that's a part of the fun of being a fan. Mm -hmm. And uh, fan editing Star Wars, at least for me, has involved some of that kind of puzzle work of, okay, well, what, what could be done to s smooth this out? Or what would you want to do? It, it raises that possibility, I guess. I think you're exactly right that, you know, there's something... George Lucas is on record saying many, many times that, you know, one of his goals his, that he, he set out to do with Star Wars was to create kind of a modern mythology. And I think he was successful beyond even his wildest dreams. But a part of that mm -hmm. kind of implies a diffuse ownership. Uh -huh. We all sort of have ownership of it. I think if you map, you know, Star Wars broadly onto, I don't know, something like uh, Tales of King Arthur from centuries earlier, you know, the, the fan editing phenomenon might just look like the kinds of some of the stuff that happens as stories propagate and spread and are, are changed a little bit as they're retold. And, and um, you know, some stories you could you could trace, you know, oh, yeah, I went into this region, it picked up these characteristics. And so if you hear one telling of you can kind of almost trace its heritage back to the back to the source or something uh, wasn't copyrighted or anything, you know. That's actually a very good analogy that that um, that hadn't occurred to me. But I think you're I think you're exactly exactly right. Like what we're looking at with fan edits is kind of the um, the high tech 21st century version of retelling of legends, picking up certain characteristics along the way, like a game of telephone through time. The other thing also that happened, you know, you were talking about how the moment the Phantom Menace came out was sort of right on the cusp of when the technology to do things like nonlinear editing on your home computer and right. to do impressive looking special effects. That was sort of the dawn of that, of that era. I don't think it's a coincidence that fan filmmaking springs up or sort of explodes mm -hmm. in a massive way around the same time. I mean, obviously there were always fan films, like hardware wars and troops and things of that, right. of that, of that nature. But that was the moment when you know, Star Wars was at a fever pitch in pop culture. And also we had those more adventurous of us had the means to kind of try our hand at it as well. And I think, you know, like fan fiction, fan films and fan editing, um, I'd love to get your experience on this, but it's a really great way to learn your craft, whether it's writing, filmmaking, in this case, film editing, it's a great way to, it's like a proving ground. You can play around, try something, see if See if it works, make something, do something. That's actually something that, well, I don't know, see what you think, I guess. But I find that's not really so much the case with me. For me, it was more seeing particular specific things that I want to, to be that way, that, you know, ha have a, a version of the movie that doesn't exist. And I want to make that thing exist. And so I'll 
learn whatever I need to learn along the way to be able to get to putting that particular thing together, as opposed, I guess, to um, I'm going to use this as a way to practice or learn or even get any better at any of those particular particular things, you know. Uh, sure. My, my editing or like, I mean, any of the technical skills I've used, I really haven't, I, I just don't have any uh, occasion or reason to apply them to really a whole lot else there it's mostly just been that hobby for its own sake as i guess as a passion project more than uh more than anything else long term as though it is sure well that said i think even still what ends up developing into skills or maybe things we even utilize later on in a professional capacity or not you know it still comes out of that desire to play around and through the playing around, you learn mm -hmm. how to use these tools along the way. Like, I think you would probably agree from your first fan edit to Rise of Skywalker. I think you, <laughs> you probably, you probably learned a lot along the way. I, I would agree. For me, I think it's less about learning the technical skills to navigate this piece of software or that and more just kind of, I don't know, the decision making or confidence in making particular changes or anything you mentioned my prequel edits and by the time well i kind of did two sets of the prequel trilogy one was back you know when i was a teenager in 2006 or 7 and then um a little while picked it up again several years later um originally starting kind of in the wake of the announcement that there was going to be an episode 7 8 and 9 and i felt like ah, i should go back and you know um, and go through that again. But um, I think for me, or I was, I was saying though that I was distracted myself here. It's kind of late when we're recording this, but with the prequel trilogy, there was already kind of a, t a textual lineage, if you will, of ideas and things that had already been done to kind of build on. And so I felt less like I was being uh, creative in the sense of, um, playing around and seeing what could happen and everything. And it was more kind of distilling, kind of taking all this stuff that everyone had already done and kind of what can I, what can I distill down to get like the, to, to, at least to me, the, the best of, of all of it in a way that coheres nicely and fits in with what I, how I'd like for it to be. Um, I felt um, when I was revisiting the prequels and doing that, you know, just all the more so and even more edits had come out, you know, by the time of like 2013 or so felt more like um like the brothers Grimm or something just compiling mm. what what could be the quote-unquote definitive version of all these fan edited ideas to come down and, and put down for myself i mean like i said i just ultimately wanted to make those exist the more or less the way that i'd like them so that i could have them and, and there they'd be you know yeah like you're saying by the time you get to something like and maybe we'll talk about that in a, in a bit but with the rise of skywalker ascendant project yeah uh, all, i think all that experience all that i don't know, just growing in, in confidence if anything of just you know you can you can make decisions you can do things it, it's um you know and, and and you'll you'll knowing that you'll get good feedback along the way and that you know it, it it's all right it's very very different from when you make a movie professionally where you're under the gun and you gotta you know um make decisions about what you're doing very quickly and then stick with them and they're permanent you can't ever go back I think there are some similarities. So full disclosure, I actually work as a professional editor. Okay. Um, Didn't know that. So 
So what you're describing that it's not so much the technical stuff that you were learning in so much as it was really knowing the confidence to know what will work versus what won't, that sort of sixth sense you develop, that is a lot of the <laughs> skill and the craft yeah. of editing. You intuitively know it's like, oh, oh well, this will work and that won't work. You just got, you got to trust it. You know, you're, you're the editor in that position. I think if you read through some of the forum threads about the project where it's, where you are getting feedback going back and forth, you know, sometimes uh, I feel like I come across as a very impressionable, like whoever gave the most recent piece of feedback is probably going <laughs> to win out as I'm weighing out whether to make a change or do this or that or something like that. And For what it's uh, worth, I didn't get that impression at all. I'm kind of a lurker on the original trilogy.com forum is where a lot of these uh, yeah. discussions play out. That's been kind of home right. base for me with all this stuff for darn close to 20 years by now. <laughs> oh, wow. Has it been around that long? Yeah. Almost. Um, it was 2003, early in the year. I joined uh, October 2003. I was 13 at the time. Oh, wow. No, it's it's funny. I was a member of the Jedi Council forums on the Force.net, like way back in the day, like in the lead up uh, to um, uh, the release of each of the prequel films. And they still have like... I can go back and read things that I wrote when I was 15, 16 on those message boards. I hope it's not as cringy as mine. Some is cringier than other stuff. I, it's really strange. Uh, the weirdest part of it is actually not having any memory of having written it. But I digress. The, the most the, uh, recent film that you tackled, which was Rise of Skywalker, yeah. I was gleefully following along in the thread. I found it super fascinating especially yeah, what the way a, I mean, it kind what of came a, together what a what a blast we all had you know it was it just so happened of course to be during the kind of time of covid and i mean hey, at the time we're recording this we're not totally out of the woods or anything but during the lockdown quarantine kind of period anyway and i think that was part of what made that just so um so uh needed by a lot of people to you know to kind of glom on together but um hugely collaborative i mean i i was really just more of a project manager kind of uh, um, compiler than than anything else I was it was all I could do just to keep up with the material that was coming in and 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 you know kind of keep just just kind of keep things on track and and more like in a producer role from my perspective that was such a cool thing to watch unfold like for, I agree like, as someone it was cool for me to watch unfold too no I, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it was I'm sure it was <laughs> But as someone who thoroughly enjoyed uh, your prequel edits, I love your Force Awakens edit. I think it, it really makes that film absolutely sing. It's like that one structural change, which obviously it's not just one, but that main change. Um, it's an elegant that, idea. That, that's a good example of uh, just yes. being kind of uh, uh, possessed of an idea and just like, yes, this has to exist. What can be yes. done to make it exist? Version one of that was uh, really not very good because... I I don't really have much ability at all with um, any visual effects. Uh, I'm pretty limited. It's pretty just basic nonlinear editing. Uh, some stuff with audio. You know, I th I I I feel like I have a, a a knack for getting the audio thing um, I, nailed I down pretty good. But I agree with that um, for sure. Yeah. But as far as visual effects, uh, very minimal. So. Uh, Force Awakens version, you know, restructured, you know, that project version one, 
could only get kind of frustratingly close to it kind of working, but it, it wouldn't, it would have been kind of a mess if that were literally what had been released and, you know, projected overhead and in theaters. Um, and then, uh, later on, I, I just, I, I just put it down and, and thought, you know, I hope someone come along someday and, and do more with this, uh, than, than I'd been able to. Uh, and then a few specific people, um, I'm thinking of, um, never, I've always said never are, never are great. Uh, and, and Sir Ridley in, in particular, among others, uh, just kind of presented themselves on the forum. Hi, we exist. And we're here to do a bunch of difficult, impressive special effects work to help get this, you know, project into the shape that it would need to be. And, uh, and that was fun too, because we were doing that during the lead up to the last Jedi being released. And we were able to, uh, not everything was a hundred percent ready, but we were able to put together a, a, a viewable, complete, you know, good enough, uh, uh, version, uh, out in time for people to watch before going to see, you know, episode eight as it comes out in theaters. And then put out like, okay, here's everything finally finished, you know, like a month or two later. Um, so yeah, Force I, Awakens restructured. I, that. I would say that's probably out of anything that I had done. Um, well, maybe outside the original trilogy, but that's not the same thing. Um, the, the, the best one as far as not harming anything. Like there, there'd be, there wouldn't be a whole lot there. Assuming you're on board with the key idea behind it which I, maybe right, I'll talk which, about in a second. Um, yes. Assuming you're on board with that, which is why you're watching it in the first place, there would be very little that would be at all likely to throw anybody off the off the trail of enjoying it, I think. Right. So on that note, would you explain or uh, get into the main structural change for the HAL 9000 version of The Force Awakens, just so, uh, so yeah, listeners was, can understand? And this was an idea at the time, you know, after Force Awakens came out, um, kind of an idea you'd hear about multiple independent places. It's just kind of a natural idea that seemed to come up all over, which is um, the idea that you, okay, because the way, the way it originally is in the, in the movie um, we don't really hear about Starkiller Base, you know, this new, you know, Doomsday Super Weapon, you know, Death Star 3.0 until, until, uh, a good chunk of the way, I think it's like, you know, a good third of the way through the movie, they let, they, they get to, um, you know, the planet that has, uh, Maz's castle and Ray decide, Ray kind of, you know, declines the call to adventure and runs out into the woods and then hey, guess what? We have a super weapon and here we go. And they blow up Washington, D.C. And and none of the characters really seem to be affected by this at all. Not in that moment, not ever. I, I remember, you know, being there opening night for Force Awakens in the theater. And that was the first time in the movie where I really felt, I feel like this movie wants me to feel something here and I just don't and I'm noticing it. But then also I'm in a very, I don't know, weird state of mind where I'm like, I'm nervous watching this new Star Wars movie. What's happening? What you know, all that kind of that kind of stuff. But still, having a, a, a just a visceral sense of I don't think this this works. What's happening right now? Um, and then the the movie goes on. They, you know, the the resistance launches an assault on Starkiller Base, and they're doing it so that they can just destroy it before it destroys them. Um, and for for one thing, that that's a pretty close parallel to the plot structure of the original Star Wars, A New Hope, um, which I mean, there's only so much you can mitigate about that. It's it's sort of a soft reboot in a way that movie, but 
uh, it is a very close parallel in just the, the 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 sheer plot of how Starkiller Base works, and it destroys the planet, and it gets destroyed before it can destroy the Rebel Base, basically. In A New Hope, the Death Star is orbiting the same planet. It's it's right there. Like you, you would imagine, if they tried to flee, it, it, the Death Star is right there. Like they, the, all their forces can intercept them or do whatever. Uh, in this movie. In Force Awakens, it, it doesn't make sense to me why the Resistance couldn't just start evacuating. Like, go ahead, just start evacuating. Like, you, you know that they're targeting you. They're a million light years away or something. They're just, they're far away somewhere else. Um, maybe they couldn't do a complete evacuation, but just get started. Like, I don't see it. There's no reason why you couldn't. Um, so the, the simple idea that motivated that project, so I was really hoping not to fan edit the sequel trilogy. you're not to I do was, it yourself right i wasn't ready. i mean at that point in time i was pretty feeling um, pretty optimistic about it and just you know oh yeah i, I got i kind of revisited the prequels like you know and, and got those right there will be no need there will be no yeah, need for I, this I just, hopefully yeah you know, I, I already had a history by that point of messing with the star wars prequels so it was more like just like well let me you know do it in hd get it you know good and, and then there that'll be so it wasn't like i was hating on force awakens or anything like that i thought the movie you know, bore its own flaws, um, pretty well. And, uh, you know, by the time the movie's over, you, it, it was emotionally affecting enough and, uh, it, it, you know, I approve of it, uh, broadly speaking anyway. Um, uh, it was, I felt a little bit, uh, anemic with like the power of myth or whatever, but, uh, it, it was all right. It was all right. So, uh, I wasn't like, uh, coming at that as a, um, you know, here's an indictment of everything, wrong with force awakens by any means but there was just this this key i an elegant idea of what if what if star killer base um didn't fire on the republic capital and destroy it until right after han is killed in the in the third act uh and then and that they and you know things play out from there and that that one change um well it kind of addresses all the stuff that i was just that i was just talking about it uh, it keeps it, it, it distances the, the structure of the plot with Starkiller Base. It makes it different from A New Hope, at least a little bit. It doesn't invite you to go on this tangent about something you don't care about as an audience in the middle of the second act when you've been focused on these particular specific characters that are worrying about this map to Luke Skywalker instead of this planet-destroying whatever thing. And uh, by the time you get to Han being killed, now that that sequence of the Republic capital being destroyed means something. It, it's, it's, a, it's a failure of Han now. It, it, it's associated with Han's character, with Kylo Ren's character. It, it's a, more of a one-two punch. and It, 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 I don't know, it gets uh, stapled to something you actually do care about, and it has a new connotation there. Um, obviously, the same footage. It's, I think it's a good example of just how uh, power of editing. editing, you know, uh, just the way that something is presented can make a big difference. And so that that one simple change, cascading, and, and there's, I make it sound like all you got to do is you know take the little scissor tool and a nonlinear edit, editor no, go, right. go to that scene, no, drag, it's more drag it over than that. to the like, end. There are, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot mm -hmm. of thing, little little things that have to be done to make that change actually work. work. But that's that's Certainly. the core idea. And I, with that project in particular, I I um, kind of restrained myself from making a lot of other changes that I 
could have made or maybe would have wanted to make because I wanted it to, at the time, I was still thinking like, well, let's implement this change because it just makes too much sense not to with Force Awakens. Then from episode eight and beyond, totally on board, probably won't have to fan edit those at all, you know, kind of a thing. You thought you were out and they pull you back in. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, the thing that I really love about your Force Awakens restructured is that it actually uses, as you alluded to before, sort of the the parallels to the original Star Wars, A New Hope, and it kind of turns it into a strength because of the similarities in the way the films are structured and even aesthetically, visually, the way that they look. Because of those similarities, you are expecting it to play out in the same way, and then they fail. Uh-huh. And you get to kind of get a little bit of practice with having your expectations subverted before you head into The Last Jedi. Right. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, the, 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 different, the difference is, is felt all the more when, when, when it's been the similar and then you get to the end. It, it's, it's, I don't know, not polemic exactly, but, you know, it. Right. No. So, yeah, so what, I see what you're saying. So what it turns it into is makes it seem they were lulling you into a false sense of security to get you right where they wanted you. And then you pull the rug out from under them at the end. Hmm. You expect the good guys to blow up the super weapon at the end. But hey, guess what? They don't. And I don't know if it was you or someone else. I just read this a couple of days ago. And it, hmm. um, I, think, I, think, I think it may have been you. And if it was, I apologize. Or whoever it was, I apologize. But the other thing that happens with Han reaching out to his son, to Kylo Ren, to, to the Ben Solo that, that he believes is still there. That is also evocative of Luke and Vader in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I, th I think you're you're taking that from kind of just my write up of the fan edit itself, the documentation. Oh, yeah, probably. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, no, you're, right. so you're it, expecting it, it to go a certain way, and it doesn't. And then with your restructuring, you're expecting them to beat the clock to blow up the big bad super weapon before it destroys the Republic or whatever, and they fail. They don't do it. So it's yeah. like a one-two. It's like a gut punch. And it kind of sets the stage for, oh, okay, I guess this isn't going to go the way I thought. It contrives a statement that wasn't there, but that, yes. that, that, but that fits in really well with the, the trilogy as a whole. And, and I, I agree. Like I, that, they wasn't, that wasn't my idea. That, that change, that, that single uh, change was just something I heard about and was like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Well, can this be made into a real thing that exists that I can have? You know, but I no, I so I agree. Yeah, that that idea is um, just elegant, and that's kind of what attracts me to it. And oh, you know, once you edit Force Awakens, how can you not edit uh, Last Jedi or 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 Beyond? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And I guess it, to, uh, to ask a question, you weren't weren't um, or to answer a question, you weren't asking there. Just to follow it up for a moment, um, Last Jedi comes out, and um, well. And for the record, if if you're gonna like, if it's like Coke versus Pepsi or whatever like that, like you know, Force Awakens versus Last Jedi, what what do I prefer? I'm gonna say Last Jedi. Uh, just uh, go ahead and throw your tomatoes at me, but um, no, you will get I, you will get no argument from not, me. Not you, but like you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just make that I'll just make that clear here. But uh, Last Jedi comes out, and there there just seems well, they'll to have be... to throw tomatoes at both of us because I'm with you on that. <laughs> well, you know, Last Jedi, um, just there were. Not not so much super elegant particular things like like that, but there was some stuff there that just, given that I'd edited Star Wars before, just naturally seemed like, well, I should do one for this too, and and, and I did, and and that one, 
uh, has some particular ideas there, but nothing kind of overarching, I think, like that um, with Force Awakens. And then with, um, by the time we get to uh, episode nine, just in my personal life, I, at that point, I've got two kids. Last Jedi comes out, zero kids. Uh, Rise <laughs> of Skywalker comes out, two kids. Wow, so you were very busy. <laughs> I, uh, so I had never had less time or energy or anything like that. And um, I, I don't care much for Rise of Skywalker. I think it, it um, easily is the, the weakest and just weirdest of, of the three. And so I l walked out of the theater just thinking, I don't know, it, it felt um, a little disappointing given that I had invested in, uh, and maybe you say, oh, serves you right then. You think you can do better than the than people that make the movies for real or something. <laughs> but never, you know, for all these personal reasons of, of investing so much into it like that, to be disappointed by the final one and to, to, to feel that there's not really a whole lot I could, my usual fan editing tricks or things there i didn't really nothing jumped out of something i could do with that movie in particular it just i don't know it felt kind of defeating a little bit all i could do is just kind of laugh my way through the movie just treat it you know just kind of treat it like a joke um and i just felt well it, it is it is what that it, it is what it is uh and then it wasn't until well i uh i kind of in my commentary track for that edit um i draw an analogy between myself and, and, and Poe in that movie where toward the end, you know, feeling defeated by the way the battle is going, feeling defeated by the enemy forces and feeling, okay, well, I'm sorry we did this, uh, give up on this. And then out of nowhere, there's this huge civilian fleet of uh, a million people that are there to, uh, to save the day. To turn the tide. Yeah. And that, that's how I felt with uh, the Rise of Skywalker Ascendant project where I basically... I created a forum thread for the for the project with just a, a few, like you know, not that substantial ideas, and basically just saying, uh, "Here's this. I don't know if I'll actually, you know, do anything with this, but I'll make a forum thread anyway." And I think by that point, um, you know, the Hal Nine Thousand name had kind of already been in that space as the kind of the the place to go to like collaborate and and work together to put together a uh a somewhat conservative fan edit that could be used as a base for further you know bigger and better things anyway and i think just and people showed up people showed up and and it was kind of inevitable we, we would do something with it but um i think if you showed me that the next day after i had seen the rise of skywalker here's the eventual fan edit that people will help you produce i would have just passed out yeah rise of skywalker ascendant was wonderful it's and again having sort of been lurking on the forums i was there watching that whole thing sort of snowball and develop like it was so cool i think it speaks volumes there's that shot you guys created at the the end where you know when ray says and i'm all the jedi and you you added the force ghosts of a lot of the Jedi that we had come to know throughout the saga. Mm -hmm. And it looks so good that I believe that clip like kind of went viral, didn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, in in Ascendant, uh, Ray doesn't say I'm all the Jedi. She just says I'm a Jedi. Oh, uh, yes, but, yes, yes, you know, yes. Kind of owning yes, her identity and all that. No, you're no, right. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the added shots with the 
Force Ghosts was from a kind of previously unknown forum user named John H., who I understand is um, a professional just director and filmmaker uh, in Spain. And that's a good example of someone just showing up one day, knock, knock, I have this amazing thing to just hand to you guys for this specific project. See you later. I'll be back every six months to say hi and, and be very elusive. Um, so that was, that was just, um, yeah, th that, that's the stand. That's probably the single, if I had 30 seconds to show somebody something from that edit, it would be that certainly. Um, and, and it's not just because it was cool visually or something like that. It, it, it fits into everything has to fit into a, a, a story rationale and, and, and fit into things overall. Uh, someone could have given me the most amazingly well-produced special effect thing there, but if it was going to be something that wasn't going to work for it, it, you know, it would just be a cool, a cool thing, but not part of the thing itself. Um, Absolutely. But you know, no, that, that's, that, that's, a, that's, that's probably my favorite individual uh, yeah. change made to it. Yeah. Well, that's what attracts me to your fan edits so much because I love how you try to respect the intention of the filmmakers and just kind of enhance what they'd already done to bring out what is there, but just to, uh -huh. uh, to bring it that little extra step further to just really make it click, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah, it, not reinventing it, but just, you know, how could this be made more effective? And I, I think that, and that, that does certainly involve making changes to the story, but um, sort of um, like if you're doing a crossword puzzle or something, you want to be careful about what you do here, whether that affects something three connected words away or something. Um, you know, because with Star Wars, they're, they're going to be making Star Wars miniseries and movies and things and all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, forever. So I think it's, uh, more important than ever to um, uh, just be careful you don't willingly change something that's going to make your edit, I don't know, less uh, attuned to something you might really like 10 years from now that they make. Sure, you know, yeah. Just... Well, so so what's so interesting to me about the whole phenomenon of fan edits is, and I think you're really great at this. I think you use the word conservative, your whole philosophy about how you approach these, like you want this to be hypothetically the version that could have been released and, yeah. and been the version of the movie. Exactly. I, I think, um, and, and you know, people could fan at it. Well, look, just, just sticking with star Wars, even people could fan at any of the star Wars movies for any number of valid reasons that make sense to them. For me, it was always, you know, to produce something that could feasibly have been the movie. Like, be presented to somebody as the movie and it would it would work and it would, it would be just fine as a cut of the movie as opposed to something kind of more exper experimental, which can be interesting. That's just not what I was personally interested in 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 trying to do. Um, so I'd rather of I'd rather not make a change if it's not going to really feel like it could be pulled off uh, to that level. Um, yeah, because I mean, you see like a lot the, of fan the whole package. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I mean, you see a lot of fan edits, you know, that are fun experiments, but they don't have the the level of polish because, frankly, what they're trying to do is not it's is not, not possible, possible with and, yeah, and, right. and th those very projects um, often I think can take a lot more work and a lot more creativity to do, and and it just it, it just doesn't have the same standard, you know, like it, yeah, it, it can be 
uh, if you're going to uh, um, implement some uh, crazy idea or just very novel idea and, and kind of see how it, see how it works or um, intentionally just remix the movie in a in a you know dramatic way, you kind of know that there's going to be things there that are going to have some problems there. Like if if somebody was going to do an edit that replaces all the music with something else and there's certain parts of it where you just can't get rid of all the music or else you lose important dialogue are you just going to not do that project no sure it just there's it's there's just going to be stuff like that sometimes in right it. no yeah and again i think that actually probably sums it up for me at the end of the day you know your philosophy when approaching these edits of yours you want them to to be able to stand in for the film itself not like yeah, hey that, here's what goal. they should have done Right. And like, here's my half-hearted or full-hearted, but not entirely successful <laughs> stab at it, right? Exactly. I Hearing you say that makes me remember uh, shortly after Last Jedi came out, I don't remember what it was called, but there was a, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think the movie had hit video yet. It was just like kind of, you know, theater cam footage, but someone doing a, basically a fan edit that it seemed like mean-spirited in, in some of the stuff that it was I think doing. I, know, I think I know the uh, one you're talking it, about. And it was like... For example, like they got like rid it of would... Holdo like entirely, and they they got rid of Rose or something like that. It was like some mm -hmm. some kind of like and just really working hard to contrive Luke doing the opposite things that it was showing yeah. he was doing just through editing. Yeah, and, um, I, I think there's there's some specific things about it. I, obviously, I I you know glanced at it and and hadn't interacted with it since, but yeah, there's just a, a sense there of this is what it should have been. Uh, you know, something like that. And for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I never intended these to be an indictment or anything like that. Just, you know, Hey, I, uh, I can use a video editor and if I can make this happen, why not? I remember listening to, um, some podcasts and I think it was, I think it was Sam Whitmer. I, I think that's who said this. I can't remember for sure. Um, somebody, I remember saying um in regards to fan edits or like you know the phantom edit or things like that uh the the thought they expressed was um that's not impressive what's impressive is being a professional and making a movie where you have a specific time frame you're making decisions you live with them and you and you get that done and uh i would say i agree i don't have any problem with that uh it was never a matter of look what i can do but more just i want for this version of this to exist and i can do that Fan, like you know for rise of skywalker ascendant we had you know at least a year and a half of uh tossing ideas back and forth now we obviously have a lot less resources collectively than two weeks of time you know with 100 million dollars or something you know um, but nevertheless we have time to let that gestate in a way that like uh, people really making the movie in real time you know um wouldn't have um so what? Fan edits are a different thing. I'm, you know, is it no, impressive? Exactly. Well, yeah. that's up to you. But if, if if with a fan edit, you get to have two years go by where you think about something and 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 then do it. Okay, uh, it, it it's it's just a different thing. No, for sure. Um, and that's actually something that once again I think sets your fan edits apart. I very much got the sense like this isn't something mean-spirited, like this is coming from a genuine love and respect for 
the work that these filmmakers and 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 craftspeople had done and you just have you had an itch that you wanted to scratch and you had the means to do it <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that you set guidelines for yourself it's like i want these to work the same way the movies them that the real movies were intended to work it's just tweaking them slightly not you know changing the message of the last jedi or not like making right luke into a whole different character than the one depicted in the film it's just sort of like it's a creative exercise as far as i'm concerned it's like the same the same impulse to remix a song or to play with existing material and see yeah. what happens when you combine it in a new way just to see if you can do it and see and see what it looks like see see how it plays see how it works yeah and this is maybe a broad statement, but I think some people can be creative in the sense of I start with an idea and I do many different things to idea, express idea in different forms. You can take this idea of something and, and do a painting about one particular fragment of it or like like a you know, sending your prism of light uh, out into multicolors into the world. Other people mm. can be more creative in the sense of gathering those different colors of light and kind of just trying to distill them down into something kind of mine the essence out of it or something like that kind of zoom out and see the forest rather than the specific trees and i think i'm i'm more of the latter and so um just i i don't know just the the star wars being in in the place that it was at when i was the right age and just all those factors just kind of uh i guess faded me to spending quite a bit of time <laughs> working on uh what kind of feels like a single long-term project more than a hobby, really. Um, you know, like I said, it was always just a set of specific things I wanted to get done. And then just, I don't know, feeling passionate about it enough where it's hard to totally set it down and not take advantage of a later idea just because you felt like you were done already or something like that. Even though I've, I've only really ever edited Star Wars and then some, you know, some stuff with Lord of the Rings, but I never really branched out into much else because there hadn't really been the same kind of compelling ideas to pursue that I wanted to do. Well, well, as the beneficiary of the work you have put into this long-term project, I, I'm glad you did. I, I really enjoy them and I appreciate you and your work. That's very gratifying to hear. I, I, I imagine like, uh, some, uh, you know, Talmudic rabbi or something who like wrote some finer point of something, something 80, 80 chapters deep in something that was some point he felt that he had cared about or interacted enough to make that point or something for somebody later on to, uh, interact with that same esoteric point about this or that, and, and kind of cover that same mental ground is, is, is gratifying in kind of a weird way. No, I get you. I get you. Well said. And, and any, anytime you mull over the contradiction about, you know, Leia not remembering her mother when she had died in childbirth or something, I will be there. One question I, I want to ask you because I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it has crossed your mind and this is not to put you on the spot or anything, but I wonder this, uh, myself, like how do you think George Lucas feels or would feel about the idea that there are, you know, fans who are reworking his work? Well, do you think he would he would not like it? Do you think he would see the spirit in which it's it's being? Well, I mean, I mean, not everybody, but but, mm -hmm. uh, but the idea that no, like I, you I know, know what you're saying, you get your hands on something and mm -hmm. like you. I mean, he's an editor. I'm sure he understands that creative impulse. I mean, when you love something, you kind of want to take it apart and put it back together again to see how it works mm -hmm. and to see if you can. I don't I, know. I, I really don't think he would appreciate it at all. 
I, I, it's hard to yeah. say like, like present day, George Lucas, you know, this is like, you know, early 2022, yeah. we're sitting down talking here. Yeah. I don't know. He, he might just be at a point in his life where he, it wouldn't really get, you know, accrue much substance in his mind maybe. But I think if we wind back, you know, 20 years ago when the Phantom Edit was a thing, you know, um, even if we wind back 10 years or something, because even at the time, like we said, Phantom Edit was a very novel thing there. But so just broadly speaking, fan edits in general of Star Wars, you know, things that he had worked on, it's really hard for me to imagine him feeling very generous toward them or view them positively at all. He seems like somebody who, you know, has a very particular vision, even as it shifts, even as it changes, even as it's kind of, you know, carried forward impromptu and, and dynamically. He's, you know, possessed of a particular idea and sees it through his way, is not one to really take much uh, undesired feedback from other people. And like with the prequels, right? Like he made, nobody can say like he, that he didn't make the movies that he wanted to make. It's hard for me to imagine him smiling on, on, on any of this, you know? And so with, I think with any, really any kind of recut fan edit, anything like that, I think that you really kind of have to take a you know, death of the death of the author approach and treat it. Well, maybe not clinically, but just to, to treat it as a, a text that is there to be interacted right. with and, and in whatever ways and that you, you know, uh, can't be beholden to it. I think that's where a lot of the criticism comes from with Star Wars fan edits in particular is people kind of coming to the defense of uh, George Lucas and his vision there. And one thing that's true about fan edits that's not true about something like the special editions of the original trilogy is that uh, these fan edits are additive they're there and they weren't there before and other than that nothing's right. different whereas with the special editions those have been the only officially available you know presentations of those original movies for 25 years now unless yeah. you want unless you want to wow. count like a bonus feature in 2006 that was pretty <laughs> substandard even for the time and things like that it's been kind of the star wars fan community that it's so weird because when when a new star wars movie or project comes out it's just expected there's going to be fan edits of it it's Star Wars and it had been so co closely associated that, you know, before you even know whether it's any good or not, or it might have been the most beautiful thing in the world, but you're still, you know that there's going to be fan edits of it. You know, this, uh, at the time we're recording this, the, the new uh, Kenobi series hasn't debuted yet. And there's going to be fan edits of it. There's going to be versions that combine it into one movie, like you're saying, things that make it a silent movie or all this stuff. Some people are going to want to slap an opening crawl on there and call it episode three and, and bump three to two and two to one and uh, all kinds of stuff. So you're exactly um, right. That is definitely going to happen. I wanted to rewatch Mandalorian before Book of Boba Fett came out, but I still don't have a lot of free time. And uh, so I watched a version that combined each of the seasons into one movie each. And it took, I don't know, four and a half hours in total altogether. It was, it was nice. I got caught up. It was, it was the gist. I'm glad it existed. The Coaxium Heist uh, by uh, Digmod of uh, fan edit of Solo, Cole in a Star Wars story. Um, <laughs> it's great. I've watched that more than I've seen Solo itself. And that's, a, that's another example. I imagine if I were to watch the official version, just Solo, the real movie, um, there would be things that would pop up and bother me that I just would not even think about at all watching, you know, the coaxium heist. So I think you're probably right in terms of George Lucas's feelings on this. And I also uh, that, think that you're back, right. We finally get back to the actual question you asked. Yeah. No, no, I, <laughs> I'm all about the tangents. I mean, this is what I'm here for. It is interesting because you mentioned copyright earlier and we were talking about mythology. And I suspect you're exactly correct. I think that George Lucas probably hates 
this whole idea and I don't think he he would be happy about it. I don't know, but if I were a betting man, I would presume he does not approve and is not happy about it. But that said, yeah. he, 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 I think he'd probably feel like you uh, walked right up to him, slapped his lunchbox right out of his hand, <laughs> broke his glasses and just shoved him down in the mud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that said, you know, when you think about it, it is very interesting to me how specifically he did set out with the intention to create a new mythology, a modern mythology for a new generation, for a new world, for mm -hmm. a for a technological world. A lot of the myth in Star Wars is the relationship between humans and their machines, right? Mm -hmm. um, just, just, you know, kind of classic archetypes um, with a, a unique skin kind of layer in, in presentation, but it's, it's that time-tested, just resonant characters and themes and, and, and everything that's in there. It, it's good at its core. Yeah. Totally. But if you follow through on that idea and you succeed and you do create a mythology that is, you know, stories that we use to to understand ourselves and relate to each other, then you kind of seed ownership to a degree. Like if you're the idea that he was knowingly intentionally setting out to create a modern mythology, like a mm -hmm. modern mythological framework and he succeeded at that. This desire to get in there and like use it for one's own personal expression or one's own getting in the guts and monkeying around and using it in that way and rewriting it or mixing and matching and, and taking mm -hmm. pieces of it. Like that's what that's how mythology functions. I yeah. mean, that's I mean, that's interesting, how it works. interesting tension you highlight there, because that would be the natural step. You know, that would be the natural process that would happen in, in I don't know, in a, in a pre, I don't know, pre-1900, say, world, that is kind of what would have, how, how that would have gone. You know, it would have been like a Robin Hood where it just gets told and, and, and the story gets refined organically as it goes because the things that work and that catch on and that kind of just are, are resonant and, and, and everything, those are the things that get purified and stick around and the end result story that you might, you know, find 80 years down the road would be a little bit different, but it would be, if, if anything, kind of just refined. And, and there you go. That's sort of analogous to how some of these fan edits have gone in, in kind of, in, in a way. Yeah, um, no, for sure. You know, especially just with, like I was saying, just kind of my very welcoming of the collaboration because I'm for, well, honestly, it's kind of just, you know, in service to the, the end product, because I'm not super confident for better or worse or for whatever reasons in myself. Like, oh, yeah, I sit down with it. I know what I should do. Here I go. There we go. It's done. Like, I like that feedback because the end result is going to be uh, something that I feel more confident in because it has been kind of given that organic test in a sort of, I guess, analogous way to Robin Hood being told here, there and, and that happening. Yeah. No, well, no, for sure. I think actually the process you had is sort of the creative process of Star Wars or of any other tale sort of writ small. It's like, it's like a very small, like, but yes. <laughs> but no, absolutely. I think that it is a very similar thing. I also have to wonder, I mean, now that we're sort of getting out there a little bit, uh, a little bit heady, sure. the sort of the copyright intellectual property framework of the world that uh, we live in now. But I also have to wonder if it if it doesn't have something to do with the medium of film itself, which I mean, even though these are mm -hmm. fantasy films, like I think film as an art form, because it purports to kind of render reality, quote unquote, realistically, right? 
Like yeah. it's not it's not meant to be a representation of a thing the way that say a painting is or the way that a, a novel is or the way that a story told around the campfire is in writing. Yes. Yeah, like a film purports to be the definitive thing, the yeah. real thing. Like what it, it's captured and there it is. Right. Like what you are watching is not is not a representation of the thing. It's like this is what it looked like, this is what it was. I think that there's something to maybe the idea that maybe implicit in George Lucas's mind or in one's mind that like you can't really monkey with that in the same way. So I guess maybe he never really thought about it. But it turns out you can't. <laughs> well, I mean, having an alternate cut of something that's unofficial is, I mean, not limited to just, you can find plenty of that pre-internet days. I think I could be misremembering, but I think George Lucas himself edited existing movies a little bit, kind of like what you were saying earlier, for practice or, or ju just yeah, to well, do. That's a little bit yeah, different. I mean, well, he wasn't, you know, putting that, distributing that necessarily or anything but it's still something i think probably people have done for decades and decades you know for time out of mind just about no um, yeah i mean like there's the genre there's like uh the found footage film and there are a lot of avant-garde experimental filmmakers who um mm -hmm. i i had just a people taking like doing what we would do now in a different way just like taking i i like this movie i want to change it in some way and i'm either had access to film editing tools way back in the day right. or i I hope two VCRs up to each other or something. Yep. You can do stuff like that. It's just really interesting how the technology has allowed for this like new possibility of engaging with texts that I don't know was necessarily anticipated mm. um, when George Lucas created it initially. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Um, like we said before, it's it's you're, you're limited with what you can do compared to something that's in print or especially something that's like a, a story being passed along orally. So, but that's kind of the fun of it a little bit. Yeah. It, when, when you pull something off and it works, it's almost like you 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 solved the puzzle. You you found a, a, you know, you a, a way to pull trick. something off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you satisfied all the requirements to make that work and it, and it, and it, and it yeah, you pulled it off. Why do you think Disney slash Lucasfilm allows this to to go on? Or do you think because it's so small and ultimately the fan engagement is more important than whatever copyright infringement yeah. is going on? Or what do you think? Probably something along those lines. I think by, well, by now, everything on the internet happens. Like two decades right. ago, fan editing is a brand new kind of phenomenon. And it was like 2007 or 2008, somewhere around there. Fanedit.org actually got shut down for a short time. The fanedit.org and originaltrilogy.com communities, uh, at least, have been just very cautious and very strict with their rules about respecting copyright and not, like, for example, posting direct links to download fan edits right. outside of, you know, private messages or something like that, just because they'd undergone that that kind of trauma a little bit and, and need to have that prime directive sure. to keep them safe, keep all of us safe and be able to keep doing this stuff and not have somebody get uh, sued into oblivion to ma be made an example of or anything. Right. And those were, I don't know, a little bit more kind of frontier days of that kind of thing on the internet. Nowadays, I think there's just too much. It's just the floodgates have opened and people on, on YouTube, at least, you know, just for example, when we're, we're recording this on the day that a, there was a, a teaser trailer for the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I, I haven't looked, but I'm sure there's probably dozens and dozens and hundreds of people doing various meme -y, funny things with it and 
remixing stuff in all all kinds of ways. And so I think that it fanned it's like the ones that I had worked on or, or produced or anything just don't really merit a lot of attention from Disney or anything. I'm sure if if it had some reason to to fall under their radar where they take a cold hard look of it, it's it's not going to be good for us. We'd probably it'd probably get shut down, but I don't think they probably like that it happens, but they just don't seem to be interested in hunting down every last little thing. I can't think of any specific examples, but I mean, I know that there certainly are times, you know, where Disney will step in and shut down something that would be kind of tantamount to one of these fan edits. It's not, it's not like they don't. Yeah. Well, the only thing that springs to mind right now, there was, there's a Star Wars YouTuber, Star Wars Theory, and he created a Darth Vader fan film. Oh yeah. I remember hearing something about that. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't remember what the, what the drama was exactly, that it had been shut down in some manner yeah, so so I think the issue was he had monetized the channel and it got like millions ah. of views and he actually made a significant amount of, I mean, gotcha. I shouldn't say a significant amount of money, uh, but he made some money off it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, because of like YouTube. Like I was saying, if if he were functioning within the, you know, fanedit.org, originaltrilogy.com communities, that he would have broken the cardinal rule. And we definitely have that as one of those big safeguards is, you know. No money. There's no money, <laughs> you know. Yeah. There was actually a little bit of drama when uh, somebody joined the forums and they had like a their own YouTube account already about their fan edit and were selling T-shirts about their fan edit and, and have a, like a Patreon and all this kind of stuff. And no, 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 um, no. so, yeah, I've I've, you know, never made a red cent on any any of the stuff I've done. It's just been purely just just a, a weirdo alone at home doing working on a thing. You know, <laughs> none of this material belongs to me at all. I mean, this is ridiculous, but like if, if Disney wanted to take all my fan edits and release them bit for bit, like on a, on a disc format and charge people a thousand dollars a pop, you know, I wouldn't have, I have absolutely zero recourse. Like, Hey, I right. did that or something, you know? Right. Um, I'm just, I'm just, you know, like, uh, somebody's uncle in the 17th century who happened to spin a particular detail or two as they told the story of Robin Hood to their nephews and nieces and and, and that right. eventually kind of coalesced into the version that got written down at some point later on or something, you know. I love that analogy. I think that's great. <laughs> so that leads me to a question that I want to ask you, but is a little tricky. But if someone who has just listened to this is curious to see one of your fan edits, how might they go about mm. doing that? If you go to Reddit, I, I have links posted there. Or if you find me on OriginalTrilogy.com or FanAddict.org, either of those, you know, just look for HAL 9000, send me a message, and I'll be happy to oblige. Private messaging the, the fan editor themselves is really the, the primary way to, to get a copy of a particular edit. I got to ask, uh, why HAL 9000? I assume you're a 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey fan? Well, it's because when I registered at age of 13, I didn't think of there a unique go. enough name. There you go. Uh, you know, yeah, we I, make, I, yeah. <laughs> I liked that movie. I just, I just, I don't know. I don't remember why exactly I picked that, but I did. And uh, I, I wish I'd pick something more unique. I get private messages now and then. People are like, hey, can I get your Godfather edit? I'm like, oh, no, no. You're thinking of Hal over 9,000. Somebody who actually <laughs> did cre have a creative name. No, that's a different person. Do you know what you just reminded me of, actually? Steven Soderbergh, he did what amounts to a fan edit of... 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, I'm afraid I don't. The, the name sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know who that is. Steven Soderbergh is a filmmaker, director. He did, um, oh gosh, off the top of my head, he did Ocean's Eleven. He did Traffic. He okay. did uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Okay, gotcha then. A few years ago, 
he has a website. I forget what it's called. It was like his personal website. He sold some some T-shirts and like he had like a blog or something. And he would release these little video experiments. And he did a recut of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And he he put it out for free on Vimeo. So so it's not it's not just for amateurs anymore. Like he obviously sure. he he has that same. Or you remember hearing several years ago about uh, an actor uh, Topher Grace doing a fan edit of the Star Wars prequels that yes I, you you've never been able to see like it was just something he did and right showed to his friends or or something like yeah. that. Yeah, even he wouldn't be. Well, I, I I guess I shouldn't speculate about his motives not for releasing it, but I would imagine, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a very famous person. Let me do something that could get me some negative attention about, you know, copyright or whatever. His reasons might have nothing to do with that. I don't really know. But uh, yeah, 2001 A Space Odyssey would certainly be um, ripe for yeah. editing of all kinds. It is a lot of wide open space to work with, you know, whether you want to transform it or just slice it down or anything. There's a lot of, you could cut a lot out without it feeling like you had. Right now I'm looking at an IndieWire article from 2015 uh talking about steven soderbergh's 2001 a space odyssey recut where mm -hmm. he also he recut raiders of the lost ark he presented it in oh. black and white to make it oh. like you know an old-timey serial like from... it was actually made at the yeah. time that it was taking place mm -hmm. he also did his own cut of the film heaven's gate the um the michael cimino uh movie that was famously over schedule over budget film that flopped at the box office and is sort of known as like the demarcation line for the end of new Hollywood <laughs> because the studios realize, you know, maybe we shouldn't just let these directors do whatever they want. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Cause like, um, with some of the decisions that go into these fan edits, I kind of, uh, infer that mm, this was probably here as a function of studio insistence, but well, when I make this fan edit, I don't have to care about that. And right. so, you know, I can do X, Y, and Z. For example, that, that change with the Force Ghosts that you mentioned in, in Ascendant, I could imagine, you know, a studio executive, you know, maybe saying, you know, hey, if someone's only watching our new movies here, they're not going to know who these four weirdos are. Or at least they're not, at least yeah. not going to know necessarily recognize Obi-Wan and Anakin uh, on site. So they, they'd probably look at that change we did and be like, you know, hey, there's maybe some reasons not to do that. And we're like, hey, well, you know, we're not beholden to those kinds of things. It's just one of the advantages. No, and you could also imagine like they would have to pay to for use of likeness or <laughs> sure, or they would have to, to pay right. the actor for the day of shooting or whatever. I mean, obviously, like. I mean, we're talking about Disney if here. If you want to sure take Mark Hamill onto something, uh, you know, and, and you can, sure, you don't have to pay him $10 million for the privilege necessarily right. if you're just working right. on a fan project. Yeah. So I really think that, you know, fan edits sit at this very interesting juncture between art and commerce, let's say, between the mm. creative impulse and, you know, sort of the letter of the law and kind of how you know, film in general, but also Star Wars specifically is kind of and was intended to be from the very beginning a modern mythology. And mythology is something mm -hmm. that we we all yeah. share and feel some kind of ownership of. It's, so it just it's, it just it's makes one sense. way to interact with the material um, in, a, in a constructive way. Gosh, like I, I didn't I didn't feel like it was almost possible um, coming out of the theater at Rise of Skywalker to 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 really kind of that project forced me into a constructive mindset about that movie, to be honest. <laughs> um, but that was good. Like I, I can, I can obviously sit down and watch Ascendant and feel 
good about what I'm seeing, just having the just personal history involved, just honestly, just feeling proud of what everybody was able to do. And you should be proud. I think it speaks volumes that you were the one everybody went to and you became sort of, I mean, you described yourself as kind of like, you know, the project manager or the producer, but that's not for nothing, Hal. Like your work and your reputation for your work preceded you. And that's why everyone sort of rallied and coalesced around that thread you started because everyone wanted the Hal 9000 version of that movie. (laughs) Well, fair enough. I I wouldn't disagree with you either there. Um, it, It is a feeling of pride there pride for um, what we were able to all do together. And so even if the movie itself was kind of disappointing, it feels good to at least have done what we could with it, you know, to mm. have made that effort and, and, and produced that actual thing that, you know, there it is. And I can always come back to it in years in the future and know like, oh yeah, there's that thing we did that I feel confident about because it went through the process and got all the attention it needed. And maybe it's been out of my headspace for a a while where I don't necessarily by that point remember it's not it's not dependent on what I can remember about what we did or whatever it it's it passed those tests and 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 there it can be that's all I wanted in the first place right I feel like you know you uh I don't know you ask that uh Talmudic rabbi I, I invented a you know a little while ago you know like hey uh, you ever read anything else you're like eh what Huh? Other things, I, I don't know. other things. Jeez, I don't know. I don't think a rabbi would say geez, but still. So you'd be surprised. I know some rabbis, and they uh, uh, they know the vernacular of the time. Um, I just want to thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart for for responding to my message and for taking the time, and again for all the time and effort that you've spent making these very wonderful versions of these films that I think sit along side by side with my official Blu-rays. I'm very happy they exist. So thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you for saying so. And, and thanks for having me on here. I, I appreciate the you know, just kind of perspective behind your questions, too. I think you uh, ended up mining out of me uh, just about everything that I would have wanted to offer up anyway. So appreciate oh, well, the conversation you. and uh, appreciate being in kind of these this early batch of episodes of your new podcast. Well, thank you so much. On that note, I still do not have an official sign-off for this podcast, so um, future me is going to drop one in. But in case he decides not to, I just want to say thanks for listening. Please rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening. We can be found at trashcompod.com and trashcompod across all social media, and we will see you on the next one. (laughs) 